0: Viu, rico namorar pobre tá, 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 tá. Guess who it is introducing the podcast this week. Welcome to Shane Latte. It has been far too long and I'm very excited to be doing what's not a solo show, but to at least introduce this episode before the end of season three. We have, of course, our CEO, Amanda Young.
1: You failed the assignment. This was my moment to get a nickname. And I set you up because I knew you weren't going to give me one. (laughs) Oh, fuck.
2: (laughs) And you fell right into my trap. First of all, I had this conversation with you. I gave myself a nickname. (laughs) She said, you all have a nickname. No, that was a mistake that turned into a nickname. So... Yeah, Sometimes but we gave Shane talk. his.
1: We gave Shane his, and when I said I don't Shane have a, his. we gave Shane his, and when mm-hmm. I said that I don't have a nickname, you guys were like, "Well, that's because you always introduce us, so we never had a chance to give you a nickname." Stop well, with that the That's the
0: same for everybody. <laughs>
1: Hi, I'm Shane, and um, I can't give you a nickname because okay. um, I never introduce you on the podcast. For
0: everybody's, that's not what I said. For everybody's background. I want everybody to know that within 10 seconds of us hitting the record button Amanda goes you know what someone else do it this week Shane why don't you do it do you think that's enough time for me to come up with a nickname it's not I hate improv I'm terrible at improv himself, I
1: fun. don't know do you for think fun? this is why yeah. I'm single because I lay traps
0: mm-hmm e- e laying traps
1: whatever I have no regrets well but here hi, we everyone. go this is
0: our bear trapper Amanda Young <laughs>
1: work that's, not, I even like that. Let's use that's that. not even a good one bear trapper amanda <laughs> young we have sexy sherry principal bear trapper amanda young that's what you guys Is come it, up I with think you it, use i your think name. it works <laughs> use, you need it it's alliteration you guys don't understand the trend at this point okay whatever hello everyone i'm so sorry you had to walk in on that you know it's always awkward when you see your parents fighting and guess what? Welcome to the real world. You're an adult now. We are so happy to be here with you because we only have one more episode after this. It's so, so tragic, but fret not. We are planning amazing content for you all while we are on hiatus. Surprise! I know you've been asking for it and we always deliver what you want. Now that we settled that debate, and I still don't have a proper nickname, why don't we start with our media recommendations? Shane, I know that you're sitting on ready. Go ahead and start because you've done this as many times as you've pooped this week. And I think you should just go ahead and let us know what your recommendation is before you friggin' burst and die.
0: Okay. Well, listen, anyone who knows me already knows what this week is. And also, if you follow the account, you know what this week is. Dune has finally come out. Denis Villeneuve's adaptation of Frank Herbert's novel. It's one of my favorite books of all time. One of my personally, like most like influential books, like for who I am. Um, And I've been waiting for this movie for years. Uh, And it finally came out this week after a year long delay because of the pandemic. Um, I have since seen it four times as of, as of this podcast airing. So, um, and I will see it again. It's, it's brilliant. It is like escapism in its absolute finest. Like we all love to like see movies and and, and escape into art. Um, and I've I've never it, it ha- honestly I haven't had this experience like with the movie since Lord of the Rings, um, which I've never said about something before. I absolutely love it. The performances are are fantastic. The writing, um, the visuals. It's like the biggest, literally the biggest movie I've ever seen. Like everything. Is just like such a huge, huge scale, huge. and it did. Ew, ew, not that. Um, I also, for everyone who hasn't seen it yet, it now it is only the first part of the book. It's the first half, but they have officially, as of a couple of days ago, Warner Brothers did officially greenlight part two. So, if you haven't seen it yet, you can now go see it with security knowing that. You're going to get to like finish the story in 2023. But uh, see it on the biggest and loudest screen you can. It's fucking amazing.
1: Can I make a request? I would like to go see the movie. So can your fifth time watching it be with me and we can go on a date?
0: Yeah, of course.
1: I love it. And then, we I'm can, so and excited. then, and then
0: it's not enough to see it one time. So then I'll take you to see it again for the second time. So I'll see it six and it'll it'll be great for everybody.
1: I'm very excited. Sherry, are you going to join us on this journey?
2: Um, yeah, I'm barely alive, um, but I will join. Okay. Well, this is my media recommendation. Um, so actually Netflix just released a new serial killer documentary called the Raincoat Killer about Yoo Young-shul, um, who is Korea's, like, he's a convicted serial killer from 1994, who is rumored to have killed, um almost like 100 people in the 2000s. Um, I'm I have not seen it. I just saw it pop up on my Netflix. I'm interested. I have never really heard of a serial killer out of Korea. So I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated. Um, Yeah. You don't really hear about serial killers in the 2000s either. So that's my media recommendation. How are you doing, Amanda? No one ever asks you. Oh, you're so right, Sarah. Oh, my God.
1: Been waiting for this moment. (laughs) You know what? I'm doing amazing. And it's partially because of my media recommendation. I have actually, they kind of go together. So if you've been listening this season, I've been kind of on a, um, A wellness journey, I guess you could say. For a long time, I felt like I was not happy with my life and the way my life was going. And I just felt like I was not the pilot of my life. Things were happening to me and I was not in control of them. And it was very stressful. And I had a moment where, kind of like a life change, where you guys know I went through a breakup. And that's the moment when I was like, okay, I can use this moment to make my life what I want it to be. And two things that I've been doing to help me do that, and they are not sponsors of this podcast, but if they would like to be, please, I mean, we'll take it. Um, I think I've talked about it before on this podcast, but the Calm app, I love, love, love the Calm app. I'm currently doing um, a meditation series, a guided meditation series on self-esteem. And I recently learned in therapy that I have kind of, a low self-esteem and that might be shocking to people because I think people assume that I'm like very confident and I think that's true but confidence and self-esteem can be very different and confidence is more how you feel about your ability to do things self-esteem is about how worthy you feel to receive good things. And I've noticed that my self-esteem was lacking a little bit. So now I'm doing this whole self-esteem series on the Calm app. And I honestly feel really great. I think the Calm app does a really great job of employing people who know what they're talking about and know what they're doing. And they give you the tools to overcome these obstacles you have in your life. And I think at this point, I'm looking at people who are living their lives authentically and who are happy and I want that for myself. I don't want to feel negative feelings about myself. I don't want to be unhappy. So at this point, I have no choice but to be happy. I need to do what I need to do to get there. And I'm trying a whole bunch of different things in the Calm app. is definitely working for me. Another one that I recommend is actually an app as well. It's called the I Am Affirmations app. I really, really love it. I have set it so basically the way it works is you tell them the areas that you need help with in affirmations and they give you random affirmations throughout the day that kind of reaffirm those areas in your life. So for transparency, one for me is my security in my ability to succeed in my career. So I get a lot of affirmations about how hardworking I am and how I am worthy to get the things that I want in life that I Am just as good as anybody else. Things that are negative thoughts that I have, they kind of like flip it and turn it around. So I recommend the Calm app and the I Am affirmations app. I know all of a sudden I'm sounding very crunchy granola, but I don't care because I feel happy, and that I think is what matters.
0: I'm literally adding the affirmations app as we speak. I already have Calm, but I've not heard of affirmations.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. It's I am affirmations. And at the beginning, it basically takes inventory of the things you feel like you need help with. It's like love, family, acceptance, career, stuff like that. And they give you, yep, that's the one. And they give you um, tailored affirmations. They come through on your Apple Watch, they can come through on your phone, and you can set it to how many you want throughout the day. I currently have like 10 affirmations that I want to receive throughout the day and they just randomly pop up. Like,
0: can you guys send me five hundred
1: of these, please? <laughs> yes, I know that's what I like. Really need, and you can actually write your own affirmations too. So let's say that you notice yourself having a negative thought, you can open the app, type up an affirmation, and save it, and it'll send it back to you randomly, like in the days afterwards.
0: Huh, that's really cool. Thank you.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. I think being an adult, you there's a lot of things at play. It's very stressful. And one of the things I'm realizing is that I have to take an active role in my life in all aspects. So it's like being in control of my life and the things that happen to me and the way that I feel is how I will go about being the person I want to be. And every day I feel like I'm getting closer to that. So I feel very happy about that because six months ago, I do not think I would be able to say the same love
0: that jack loves it too
1: okay so i think we can jump right in this is a media story that has really taken a life of its own um and since we talk about the movies we talk about tv we talk about the industry a lot we would be remiss if we didn't discuss this very hot topic um Of course, I am talking about the tragic accident that happened on the Alec Baldwin executive produced movie Rust, where unfortunately it ended in a fatality. Um, And this happened just this past week. There is a lot to uncover and chat about. And I feel like in the days after this tragic accident, we have learned so much more about the environment in which this was able to take place. And there are a lot of opinions out there on the internet. And there's a lot of information out there on the internet. And I feel like we're learning more and more every day. And it's a little bit terrifying, especially for me as an actor to think about safety on set and i'm glad these conversations are being had now
2: this particular incident really jarred me because first of all we all got that apple alert at 10 o'clock at night when it happened and it was jarring because i actually consulted um one of my cop friends um because he actually works on movie sets as well in atlanta and i said hey cop friend how does this happen From what I'm hearing online, they said that they put 20% gunpowder in the bullet and that the cinematographer was too close, which is part of the reason she died and that the director was next to her. So it kind of ricocheted, blah, blah, blah. And the cop, who's also teaching me gun safety, said, absolutely not. It doesn't make sense. Which leads me to believe is did this man get set up? Like, this is giving me some Bruce Lee when Bruce Lee died on set. Like, and it's, it's Bruce very- Lee's, it's actually Bruce Lee's son that died on set, it's Bruce Lee's son. Yeah. Okay. Actually, Give I think me- they might
1: have both died on set, but Bruce Lee died. It's Bruce, died. Bruce Lee's, he was it's Bruce Lee's son that was shot, though. I think Bruce Lee died from like a stunt incident. I think his son actually was the one who was shot.
2: Interesting. Well, one of the Lees. Um, it's giving me someone loaded this gun and said shoot this and I think one of the court documents said that Alec Baldwin was handed a gun from an assistant director which this is not it's not not feeling kosher to me like aside from the neglect of gun safety it's giving me intent to murder I I don't know it it doesn't, it doesn't sound right. There's a lot more to the situation. I don't think Alec Baldwin did this on purpose. I think he got caught up in it, but I think someone messed up on purpose. And I think that is horrific.
0: I don't know. Personally, I, all I want to say on, <clears throat> on that topic for me personally, you guys can talk about it however much you want, but like, I, I'm not at a place where I'm like, believing it's like some conspiracy and there's like a a big setup behind it and that it was a, an intent to murder until more information comes out and more specified stuff. And like from actual, like verified sources. Cause like at the moment, I've seen so many rumors, so many, you know, quote unquote, first in accounts of people who were there that saw what happened and blah, blah, blah. Like until official stories coming out and the investigation is open. Like at this point, like, I think, for me personally it kind of takes away from like the tragedy at at hand um and it's a conversation that i think needs to happen um about once again i mean we talk about gun control all the time but gun control and safety on set especially in today's age with these strikes that are happening and i think the most interesting news to come out of this set is the fact that it was affected by the strike there was a lot of uh, issues with like overworking and labor on set and people were quitting and walking off set to the point that people who are maybe not as qualified were trying to handle these safety precautions and keep the production moving along and that to me is a way more <laughs> a way more plausible and i think of a much more important conversation to have about safety on set and safety in film and on in theater. And I mean, this isn't the first time this has happened. Like, why is this happening? Like if it was, if it were a conspiracy and something were happen, that's horrific and that's awful. But I would rather us be having the conversations as like an industry about how can we move forward with this to ensure this never happens again? Why are we firing blanks directly at a camera? Why is, why are we doing that in 2021? We can be adding this stuff in post. That's something that when this story came out, I was like, If the cinematographer was shot, obviously it's it's firing at camera. And supposedly what happened was they were running. It wasn't even a a take; it was a rehearsal they were doing. Just the director, the cinematographer, and Alec Baldwin, and he was doing. um, They were demonstrating like a quick draw for a shot they were going to do, where you you know it's I mean it's a western, so it's you pull out of the holster and fire it. And it was a stylized shot at camera. And I just don't see the reason why we were firing a blank on that um i can maybe understand if we're doing a shot where it's we're shooting completely away from camera and we have the whole set completely cleared there is no chance that it's going to be able to even possibly go off and hit anybody you're firing a camera like not only is it you know multi like tens of thousands of dollars hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment you're also shooting at a person and there is someone standing there recording
2: I'm learning gun safety right now, and I should be able to relay the four tenets of gun safety. I'm yeah, please. Okay. So one of them is always point the gun in a safe direction. Your gun should always be unloaded, and you should know that. Um, um Always know your target and beyond. And um, shit, what's the last one? Ooh, my gun person is going to be so mad at me because I have to learn gun safety to learn how to shoot. I'm learning how to shoot a gun. Um, mm, I forgot the last one, but it's going to come to me. But always point the gun in a safe direction. Pointing it at someone is not a safe direction. Like So,
1: I think there is a couple of contextual things that like need to be discussed. So, it was rehearsal. They weren't there were three prop guns laid out by the armorer on the prop table, right? So, in my mind, if it's for rehearsal, they're probably looking to use an unloaded gun. The issue is there were three unattended guns on the prop table. The three of us come from a theater background, and I think things go a little bit differently when we're talking about SAG regulations and rules as opposed to equity. I know, like, stage rules, the armorer is never to leave the weapons unattended. There was, should never have been a moment where the AD be is able to up. just, they should be in a safe. They should go from a safe handled by only one person, the armorer, who then hands it to the actor. And I'm pretty sure in stage productions, you guys tell me if I'm wrong, there's a weapons call where the actor is then to test the weapon. So the fact that none of this has happened, a random bystander essentially picked up A hot weapon off of a prop the the armory the armorer should have never even placed those items on a prop table for anyone to pick up. That's absolutely insane. Like that's just absolutely crazy that these guns would just be out in the open like that. And so I think what happened was they weren't rehearsing with what they thought was a live uh, a hot gun. They thought it was a cold gun. In fact, the ad handed it to Alec Baldwin and said, yelled, "Cold gun." He thought that it was cold. He picked it up off of this table. So in my mind, the person that's absolutely culpable for this is the armorer. Because where on the whole point of having an armorer on set is to make sure that we're handling weapons safely. And the fact that these items were unattended for anyone to grab was the biggest mistake I think that could have ever been made.
2: Well, I think the armorer was not working on the set anymore. And I think that they they said a bunch of people quit, a bunch of the gun safety people quit. So there probably was not an armor at that point. Because like, it, oh, I remember the last tenet of um, firing a gun, which is keep your finger off the trigger unless you're ready to shoot. From what it looks like to me, none of those tenets were followed Or even taught to Alec Baldwin, which is what I'm trying to say here. So I'm going to go over them again. Keep your finger off the trigger unless you're ready to shoot. Clearly, when he was doing his trick, he was not trained in that trick and when to shoot it. Um, Know your target and beyond. Like, what's behind the target, blah, blah, blah. Um, Know if your gun is loaded or not. And always treat it as a hot weapon. Right? No matter if it's cold or if it's fake. Especially fake guns, treat it as if it's a hot weapon. And um, shit, what's the last one? I always do this. I had it before. You um, never, never point your gun, right? Um, no, it's um, always pointing in a safe direction. None of those tenants were followed. Those are all there for safety. And I know for a fact an armorer is supposed to teach that on set. But now this is is what I
1: my rebuttal to that though, Sherry, is some of those tenets don't apply when you're actually on a movie set because the shot required for the gun to be pointed into the barrel, into the down the barrel of the camera, right? So it's like sometimes when we're making movies that happens the shot we've all seen it when we've seen like Django for example there's plenty I'll of say, shots especially with gun, westerns yeah where the gun is directly at the camera and I totally understand the want to for it to be safe but if that's the shot that's the shot and none of this would have well, happened armors
2: say no all the time they say no to shots all the time that's their job but also like that's not realistic. Like, in movies, in movies, they... I mean, I understand what you're saying, but that's what the armor is there for. You're there for gun safety, to prevent yes, things like that. But,
1: that. but I'm saying the tenets of gun safety that you're saying don't always apply to movie sets. I
2: think they should always apply, is what I'm saying, which is why okay. this not going to happen. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I think there's like, a couple of things at play. The armorer was there that day because the armorer set the guns out onto the table. So, just to clear that up, the armorer was in attendance i think this I'm is where it's, it's a it's a, a now
0: it's a the investigation is interesting and is going to continue to be interesting because of the line of of uh, all the things that uh, multiple things had to go wrong for this to happen um and unfortunately it's a you know perfect storm of tragedy of these that these things played out the way they did to get into the situation that happened um I think it's also important to note that like I mean whenever this was first coming out like I was getting so pissed seeing all these like news articles and media that are broadcasting that picture of Alec Baldwin like on the phone like sobbing like right after it happened and every headline was worded in such a way that it made it seem I mean it literally would just said Alec Baldwin shot the cinematographer on the set of Brust that's basically what it said and it's like listen I know in the in the days since like we've talked about you know the culpability of like producers and Hollywood and things like that. And while he is an executive producer on the set, there's a ton of other producers as well. And for him as an actor, I've seen so many people online, like, you know, in Facebook comments and things like that, that obviously don't work in the industry. And how would they be expected to know how these things work on set? But just for anyone who's who is unclear, this is not the Alec Baldwin is, is not solely responsible for what happened on set and i think that the way that it's being treated by the media is has insinuated that in some ways and at the end of the day like even just to the basic fact that if, if alec baldwin they're like why didn't he check the chamber why didn't he do this and it's like the bottom line is on i mean i know i'm pretty sure it works the same way on film sets i know on theater sets whenever i've had a live gun um or not a live gun just even a prop gun and we check it to make sure everything is clear as soon as an actor tampers with it to check it, it now has to go through the entire safety protocol once again. You as the actor are handed the weapon and you are not supposed to do anything to it. Otherwise, it's considered tampering and it has to go back to square one with the armorer who then has to go through the whole safety process. Yes, you can be fired you actually clip. for tampering, exactly. tampering mm-hmm. with a weapon
1: after so, it's handed
0: to you by an armorer. And on a Western that has been that had been shooting for a few weeks, I mean, listen, we've all seen Westerns and others, gun fires every three seconds in Western movies, especially one like this, which is actually ironically about someone um, falsely accused of murder. Uh, I think in that regard, like Alec Baldwin knows that's the case. He's not going to be checking that himself. It's not his job to check it himself. Like he was handed a gun. And I think the fact that assistant director handed him the gun is a major, major, major mistake. Um, Just like all the other things that would have had to have happened for this to get, to the point it did. And it's so fucking sad. Um, It never needs to happen again. That's what I was going to say. I
1: think that's what's the most sad part about it is the fact that this could have been prevented and should have been prevented. And I think that's what makes this such a tragedy because it's like, I think that's why we keep talking about it. And everyone keeps having all these like conspiracy theories and speculations, because how could this happen in 2021 on a hollywood movie production this isn't a indie film being shot in someone's backyard like this is a huge big scale production and it just begs the question like you know i understand the conspiracies because it's almost like it doesn't even make sense that this could happen logically well because of the fact that it's lining up with the strikes too is
2: but it's it's more than that this is actual negligence and I don't I am interested to see who is it seems like it was purposeful. Like, that's what I'm not. That's what it seems like, because there are so many fail safes, but all of them were not used.
1: That's how I feel, too, Sherry. And I don't want to jump to someone who was on purpose setting up Alec Baldwin, because I don't know that that's what happened. But part of me is like all of these people on set and not one safety precaution was taken. Like that just seems, one. Kind, it just seems kind of crazy. Like it just seems kind of crazy that someone wouldn't be like,
2: Hey, so um, many people's jobs were not done. <laughs> yes, At least exactly. five people's jobs were not done. So that's it's like, a lot of people, but it is a but lot that's of people. Where,
0: and maybe this is just me. Like you wanting to uh, see good intention of people. That's multiple people that would have to be on board with someone who's completely innocent, getting shot and killed on set. Like,
2: yeah, <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I, yeah. But I
0: don't, that's where I'm like, I, I'm sorry. I find that hard to believe that a bunch of people on this movie set were okay and were in cahoots to get somebody shot and killed I on the set to make a point. I wouldn't say they were
2: on the movie set necessarily. I think it's bigger. <laughs> like this is, it's absolutely insane. I, this, the scale of this could be way bigger than what we can even imagine because he was the executive producer as well. He's not just an actor on set. Like Alec Baldwin has been in the media for what? Four decades. Like it is insane that an assistant director gave him a gun that was hot. The armorer didn't check to see if it was hot. That's already multiple people checking. You're supposed to check distance as the armorer. You're supposed to check all of that. So how many people did not do their job? Real talk.
0: This is not to suggest or say, you know, anything about the, the industry itself, but I guess what, what I'm getting at is, we compared it to like, oh, we've been on sets before. Where there's been a live gun. We've been on film sets before where, oh, there is a scene in a two-hour movie where a gun is fired. Obviously, that one instance of a gunshot in that film is going to be treated with the utmost 100% complete caution. We're on a western set, and that's where I think that has to be taken into account with all this. That I don't, not that I'm suggesting anybody is is constantly cutting corners, but I. I think there's a certain trust that develops on set sometime, which is unfortunate and it's it's unacceptable. But I think part of what contributes to this whole situation is the fact that the set itself, this was a daily norm. This is the thing that we are doing constantly in this movie. At a certain point, there's some trust here and I'm... i we obviously there were there were cut corners like in this situation and it lined up and it led to this tragedy. Another
1: thing that I think is worth mentioning is the fact that so many media outlets like everywhere kept calling Helena Hutchins a camera woman. She's in fact the cinematographer. She's a I think,
0: cinematographer.
1: I think we really need to go ahead and um honestly put some respect on her name it is very difficult Mm -hmm. to become a cinematographer especially as a woman and we need to like not mislabel what her job was on set because that is a huge feat there are very few women in the industry who hold that title and we need to be correctly speaking about her accomplishments and call her what she is she was the cinematographer on set
2: Um, I found the firearms handling part of SAG's rules. Yep. It says refrain from pointing a firearm at anyone, including yourself. If it is, if it is absolutely necessary to do so on camera, consult the properties master. Um, Never place your finger on the trigger until you're ready to shoot. Know where and what your intended target is. Do not engage in horseplay. Never discharge a firearm when the barrel is clogged. Um, Utilize all safety devices until the firearm is ready to be used. Um, never leave the firearm unattended. Only a qualified person shall perform hand-loading or altering factory-loaded blank ammunition to work on the firearms. Um, no person is to be coaxed, coerced, or otherwise forced into handling a firearm. Um, yeah, this... Yeah, it even details the ability to demonstrate knowledge of blank ammunition. There's There's a lot here. I mean, the investigation is underway. I don't
1: see it wrapping up anytime soon because there's just so much to unpack. Okay, well, we are going to take a quick break and we will be back right after this.
2: And we are back. For the second segment, we're talking about the one and only Jeanette McCurdy. If you don't know who that is, that's fine. Um, If you watched iCarly in the 2000s, she played Sam. And she also had a spinoff called Sam and Cat with the one and only Ariana Grande. So why is Jeanette McCurdy trending? Because she's not acting anymore. Actually, she has quit the industry. She currently has come back with a one-woman show called... I'm glad my mom died, which is very titillating. Um, and it made me start looking her up because an iCarly reboot happened and was filmed and she was not a part of it. And she's a huge part of that show. Um, she has a, her own pod, podcast called Empty Inside with Jeanette McCurdy, where she talks about her issues growing up in the industry. And I thought it was just very interesting that someone who is 28 years old... Has decided to put herself first, and the reasons why, when I looked further, were were amazing. Um, they they're astronomical, actually. Um, she actually details abuse by her mother, um, attributing to why she eventually had a couple eating disorders, and is happy that she died. Um, so yeah. Um, should I just keep on going? I feel like that was a very chaotic intro. I mean,
1: yeah, no, I think that was honestly the tip of the iceberg. So I think there are a couple of things that are at play with this Jeanette McCurdy story. There's now we've learned um, detailed abuse from her mother that honestly made her resent her time on iCarly. And that's ultimately the reason why she didn't want to go back. I think for a lot of people who experience trauma and abuse, being in that environment again, playing that character probably would bring up a lot of those like difficult feelings that she had. And I totally understand her want to not put herself back into that environment. Um, The details of her mom's abuse are honestly terrifying. She was performing breast exams on her vaginal exams on her. She wouldn't let her shower by herself. Like these are all very alarming allegations. And the fact that this was able to persist is just like absolutely horrible. Um, Another thing that I think was at play is the fact that her mom had always wanted to be a star and had placed a lot of pressure on her to become a child actor. She started acting when she was nine. And by the time she was 11, she was the sole breadwinner for her entire family. I cannot imagine being an 11-year-old child and knowing that it's your career that feeds your family, puts food on the table, like makes Christmas happen every year. Like, that is an unreal amount of pressure for a child. And her mom was really involved in her career and was on top of every aspect, even her physical appearance, and would portion out her food and would compare her body to other girls who were getting more roles and are honestly more popular and just more famous. So naturally she developed this disordered eating pattern because she felt like, I mean, if anyone is looking out for my best interest, it's my mother, you know, you cannot imagine what she has had to do to overcome that trauma. Um, But it does start a conversation about children in the industry in the way that they are treated and protected. And we saw it with Demi Lovato too. She details a lot of abuse that she dealt with when she was at a young age as well. It makes
0: me think a lot too about like, we see this all the time with like high school drama directors that went through the, the, you know, in their youth, they wanted to be actors and they went through this whole process They got burned out by the industry. And now you have these abusive instructors, you see it in college, you see it in high school, like abusive instructors for theater and performance that are they're they're taking it out on kids because they think that that's how that's that's their way to to do something at in the industry and especially like I can it's bad enough with a instructor I can only imagine how awful it is like to the person that you you don't get to go home to get away from you're going home to that like yep.
2: this is definitely giving me some gypsy rose vibes um, the way that she's her mother interacted with her, it was kind of eerie reading it. And I'm glad that she was able to get through that and not do anything that was truly detrimental to herself and other people. I'm glad that she is, I think she's two years, um, recovered from her second, um, eating disorder, which is wow. She's 28. Like she just, she just took the bull by the horns at 26 and and um, started dealing with that herself. Like it's, I don't think when people want to be actors, they think about the repercussions of being in the industry. And in for- Jeanette McCurdy has always maintained this too. She was on Law & Order SVU. That was one of the uh, first things I ever saw her in. If you remember the episode, it's when she was a little girl that got in the car accident and they did the exam on her and found out she was raped by... Um, by her soccer coach. And even that storyline, she talks about how the industry really doesn't give a fuck about kids. Like, how the fuck are you supposed to have a kid learn all those lines? And you're right. You're absolutely correct. The industry was never set up to protect her. It was set up to take advantage of her from the beginning. And like her mom also, she realized, had an eating disorder when she was, actually till the end of her life. She was also anorexic. So she put that on her when she was little. And it's like thinking about all that, she said, um, I was reading an article in the Huffington Post about her. It's actually on her website. Um, And she said all she would see her mom eat for dinner is broccoli and cauliflower with a pinch of garlic. Wow. It got to the point where her dance teacher or the other moms came up to her when she was in dance class when she was like 12. And they were concerned about her weight. So she told her mom and her mom was like, I'll vouch for you that you're healthy. Yeah. She, in <laughs> fact,
1: coached her and said, if they ask you about it again, tell them that you're eating normally. Which what is- the fuck? Oh. Lie to them. Horrifying. She
0: lie to them. She them, like them are getting the nutrients that you need. I know you're not, but Jesus well, Christ. Well, she
2: said, um, first of all, Jeanette McCurdy, she's not completely out of the industry. She actually has gone to producing and writing. She's a brilliant writer. If you even have time to read the articles that she writes, she is a brilliant person with words. Um, she talks about how highly competitive it is to have an eating disorder in Hollywood, and how when she was anorexic, that was when she was on iCarly, right? But then she found out her mom was dying of cancer the second time, and this time it was terminal. This is around the time that she was at her biggest success. She was dating someone in the NBA. She was getting Sam and Cat. Um, So she turned to bulimia because she started dealing with it by binge eating and she's at the top of her career. So um, on the red carpet, she would look at the other anorexic models, knowing they were anorexic and be like, wow, they're so disciplined versus me. I have puffy knuckles and fat cheeks because I keep on throwing up. What? It's just so so
0: sad because it's... From a parenting perspective, like, it, it, regardless of, like, and, you know, good for, for, like, being able to grow up and kind of and get to this place, but we see it so often people who, who can't ever get out of that because whenever you're at that age as a child and you're being parented, like, that is being ingrained into you as, like, this is your norm. Your body chemistry is responding to it. That's what you're used to. It's, like, parents are the most important, like, in terms of development of a child, like, how your parents, like, educate you and 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 teach you things and, and help you grow. Like God like to grow up in that environment like where this is what you believe is the norm. Like so many people don't don't ever get out of that and don't get to the a better headspace and like oh God, it's so fucking selfish.
1: Like well and I think this is something we see a lot of times with children in the industry and it begs the question like is this where kids belong? I mean, as an adult person in the industry, I can no. tell you I struggle mm-hmm. with a lot of these mm-hmm. things myself, the constant self-doubt, the like competition, the physical attributes to being an actor and just thinking like is my body looking right? And it's like I have a well-formed adult brain, so I'm able to snap out of these things and know when I'm having like detrimental thoughts. For a child who obviously does not have the wherewithal to know right from wrong and is interacting with people in this space, I just feel like there is a good way to do it and like a bad way to do it. Someone that I think people talk about a lot is Yara Shahidi. She was on Grownish. She's been an actor basically since she was a kid. S- similarly with Zendaya as well. And both of them have openly talked about the fact that their parents were constantly checking in on checking in on them to say, hey, do you still want to do this? Because if not, you can stop whenever you want. You don't have to do this. You can do whatever you want to do. If, if you're still having fun, we can do it. If you want to stop, you tell me and we can stop. I think that's a healthy way to navigate having a child in the industry. And I think a lot of times people need to be checking in on these children in their family situation. They're not adults who are able to make choices for themselves. A lot of the times these choices are being made by their parents. We need to be able to have a safety net where other people in the production or other people in the industry can be able to look and say, hey, something is going on here and it's not healthy.
0: It's like throwing a child into the workforce. I mean, that's what you're doing. Like, And I think it's as simple as doing check-ins. It's as simple as saying, are you enjoying what you're doing? Because like, I mean, I'm looking at from this perspective, if I were to, you know, if I were to be successful and I were to, to hit things off and like, I was, it was my sole career was like acting and that's what I'm doing. And I had kids. My first thought is I'm not, I'm not immediately throwing you into the industry. Like, yeah, you can take acting classes, you can do drama classes, stuff like that. Great. And if you come to me with questions about like, oh, I'm interested in potentially, you know, moving forward. Um, then great. But otherwise like it it's, we can have those conversations, but I don't really like the idea of like throwing you into a literal like workforce and industry when you're a child, like it needs to be fun. You need to have your childhood. You need to like, I don't, I don't want you to feel pressure to be doing this and getting involved in this so quickly because it's draining mentally, emotionally, physically, like just enjoy being a kid for a while. Like I think like I um, said about Zendaya, it's as simple as, as just checking in.
2: She um that's only if your parents care about you, uh, not being number one breadwinner. Like yep. you know, I say she got out relatively unscathed because unlike other child stars, she didn't really turn to drugs and alcohol. She it didn't end in a conservatorship like Amanda Bynes, uh, who was also on Nickelodeon. It it's it's quite insane how she had to get rid of her parent because I think her mom might have been a single mom. Um to truly understand that happened in 2013 when her mom died um, to truly understand that she was broken like that. And I think that's the the main issue and solution in all of these problems, definitely parents. But if your parents don't care and they want to make money off of you, AKA Britney Spears, you're going to be, you're going to be in a problem. And it's that's, I don't want kids to act then if you're not going to protect them, do not want them to act. That's ridiculous. My childhood is one of my most, if not my best time in my life, which is sad to say because it's all over. I was my best self when I was a child. My parents say that to me to this day. When you were five, you were the best person of yourself. It's like, wow, parents, wow, because I still have about, what, 95 years left of my life? Thank you so much. But um, truly, I was... I feel like I was in my prime. Like I was like doing whatever I wanted. If I wanted ice cream, I would eat ice cream and my parents would let me, you know what I mean? And I hate that people don't have that. We deserve that as people. (sighs) Christ.
1: Yeah. Honestly, the more that I talk about this in this entire episode in general, I just have to say this place, this industry is a very insidious place. Like, Oh, my God. It's just absolutely horrible. And you know what? I don't recommend that there are children here. I'm not having that much fun as an adult. I'm still doing it because I don't hate it enough to quit. But, like, damn, it's just really not
0: place. My instructor used to say in college that, like, this industry is a blood sport. Like.
2: Ooh, I like that. It is. You know, what I love about Jeanette McCurdy, she took this situation by the reins and on her podcast, she actually addressed it for the first time with Anna Ferris, who was playing her mom at the time in a movie. And Anna Ferris said to her, Are you going back? Do you see yourself going back to acting? And she said, Well, I wrote a one woman play about my mom. I'll go back for that. But other than that, that's it. She said, I'm not going because it is not good for me as a person. Amen. Amen, bitch. Well, look at you Britney do, Spears
0: saying that she's not going to be going back into performing probably after this conservative. Like she queen. has, yeah. Give us nothing. Give us nothing. Unironically. Like, I mean, it, but it makes sense. I mean, your entire career was based on this, these falsities and this, this, you know, mental abuse that you were subjected to by your family. Like, yeah, that's what it's associated with. I have no interest in going back to it. And you know what? Good for you. Don't.
2: It goes back to, um, what we were saying also about, couple episodes ago, you're talking about body positivity and body neutrality. I'm getting to a point where I'm career neutral. I am not interested in getting up anymore. I am not interested in the pitfalls. I'm interested in maintaining my mental health. I'm interested in waking up and not feeling like I have anxiety because I can't buy lunch. That is my career neutral. And I'm learning more and more as I look around at these other artists, at these other business people. That's the goal. I do not want to stress myself out to the point where I feel like I can't work, which low key I did this week. But for what? Because now I'm just tired. For fucking what? We were put on this earth to enjoy ourselves, which is what I truly believe. So I'm going to start now. If that means that I can't do all of the things that I planned for myself in my career, so fucking be it. Because guess what? I want to be peaceful. Not happy. Peaceful.
0: I mean, fuck yeah. I mean, that's like we're seeing it go through the same process with like Ryan Reynolds is doing it right now. He just announced he's taking a hiatus from acting because he's had a really busy couple years. And it's like, I think that needs to be more like normalized. Like that's not something that should be like, he shouldn't be shamed for that. Nobody should. I mean, especially, I mean, for any career, but I think as actors too, and in this industry, like if your mental health is not healthy, like if you're not at a good place mentally, like how do you expect to give good work? Like, I know, I know I don't, if I'm in a bad mental place, I know I need to step away from it and say, you know what, I need a, I need a second. It's like, I think we talked about last week, like in terms of motivation, I think that's, that's important to have motivation, but at the same time, it's important to take breaks too and know whenever you need it. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's incredibly honorable. So good for you.
1: Yeah, I think that there is a lot that can be done in terms of progress of the industry. And like, it's only so often that we can talk about these things that are happening and like how horrible it is without something being done. And at some point, people are not going to want to be here anymore, you know? And it's just unfortunate that the entertainment industry just chews people up and spits them out. I am not of the belief that that needs to happen. You know, I think a lot of it is just remnants of a toxic past that we all just are happy with keeping up. But at some point, we need to be able to say, everybody else is able to live and work in a healthy environment. We should want that for our industry as well. Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we have a new segment just in time for spooky Halloween season. We'll be back. And we are back. This is me, your host. But she's coming to you with a different voice because this is our segment, Sinister Sips, just in time for Halloween.
2: Is this your real laugh?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Are you a witch?
0: <laughs> I was, to, I was trying to be scary, but then I made myself
2: laugh.
1: <laughs> okay. Anyway, I could,
2: I could hear the
0: laugh. The laugh went from like witch cackle into Amanda laughing.
2: <laughs>
1: yes, I got. I didn't ex- hear a difference. To be honest, it was too silly for me. Like I just got like really. Like, it, I spooked myself. Well, in this segment, Sinister Sips, we are going to give you our best spooky stories just in time for Halloween season. Um, I am going to start with a tale that actually ties the three of us together. And this tale, I think, has made a big impact on me in many ways. And this is the story of the Gainesville Ripper. For those of you who don't know... Um, Sherry Shane and I became friends on the University of Florida campus, and this tale takes place exactly there. So, the setting is 1990 in Gainesville, Florida, home of the University of Florida. Um, it is the fall, students are just arriving to start the semester, and they have no idea what is about to unfold, will take the nation by storm, and inspire tales, movies, stories for year for years to come. The scene. It is fall, August 1990 in Gainesville, Florida. All of the students are just arriving to start the new school year. Their freshmen are unloading into their dorms and everyone is so excited for the year to come. Um, enter the Gainesville Ripper. Two freshman girls lived together. Their names are Sonia Larson and Christina Powell, and they lived in an apartment off campus. The story starts with them being followed home by a very dangerous man who breaks into their house by overpowering them, thus beginning the the streak of the Gainesville Ripper. Basically the Gainesville Ripper covered both of the young women's mouths with duct tape, bound their hands, performed horrible sexual acts on them, Before killing them, he then returned to one of the girl's dead bodies to, once again, defile her. And he went so far as to cut off the girl's nipples and to keep one as a trophy for his horrific acts. The next day, another girl is murdered, much in the same fashion. He breaks into her house. He sexually assaults her. He also removed her nipples and placed them beside her for people to find her when they arrive um and then as if that was not horrific enough he then cuts off her head and puts it on a bookshelf and poses her body in a sexual manner now at this point as you can imagine the news has spread like wildfire there have been three students that have now been murdered at the University of Florida, and no one knows what is going on. At this point, people are so terrified that students are moving out of Gainesville by the thousands. Hundreds of them, I think it was close to like 800 of them, didn't even return like the, for the rest of the year. They transferred to Florida State like Shane, because they just couldn't handle how scary this whole situation was. And as if that was not enough, on August 27th, um, a few days after the first murders, Tracy Pauls and Manuel Tobota are both murdered. Um, he killed Tobota while he slept. It's rumored because he was a larger man and he didn't think he would be able to um, overpower him. And then he killed Tracy. Um, he didn't do his typical mark of mutilation and posing because at this point, the story was so hot that they figured that maybe he was afraid that he was going to get caught. Um, all of these murders happened less than two miles from the University of Florida. And you would think with this many people being murdered and this many people caring about the story that they would be able to catch him rather quickly, but such was not the case. A manhunt ensued. They were looking, searching, trying to find whoever did this. And it turns out they actually arrested someone for what they thought was the murder. And guess it turns out that he actually did not do this at all. Um, it wasn't until actually, I think, four months later that this man was arrested for, I don't know what, I think it was like a breaking and entering in somewhere in Florida and they arrest him. They run his DNA. Turns out that he is actually the murderer of a family that was murdered in Shreveport, Louisiana, much in the same fashion. The woman was posed in a sexual manner for people to find her decapitated, so on and so forth. So because of the similarities there, they, then run the DNA on the site at University of Florida. And it turns out that the Gainesville Ripper was none other than Danny Rowling. And the way that this story took the country on a ride, it actually inspired my favorite slasher series, none other than Scream. And Kevin Williamson, who actually wrote the screenplay for Scream, was one of the people who was glued to this story because of just how horrific and unique it was. And he actually decided to write a screenplay in which students are being terrorized and murdered by this unknown murderer. And the idea that we just don't know who this person is, is really what captivated Williamson and thus became the story of none other than Ghostface of Scream. And that is the story of the gainesville ripper danny Rowling was actually um he was put to death in 2005 and eerily and creepily enough as if he's not enough of a creep he sang hymns as they were murdering him which is just absolutely terrifying so that's that i hope you sleep with one eye open tonight that is
0: so disturbing like everything about that story like and the fact that it's it's True. Um, Mine is going a little bit supernatural. um, And it's kind of relevant coming off last week whenever we had Jono on the pod. Uh, My story is actually a personal one that happened to us. We shot a film back in February um, where we went up to LAJ uh, up in North Georgia and we were filming at a cabin and we were up there for about a week. Um, And so one night we're filming an outdoor scene. Um, it's probably about like 11 o'clock at night, I guess. And we're out filming a scene and it's probably like my characters, like one of my most intense moments in the movies, like I'm like trying to get there. Like I'm working with Jono on like, okay, let's, let's, you know, get some substitution going. Let's get to the right headspace for it. It's freezing cold. So we're like outside, we're shivering. Um, and we're getting ready to go for a take. And all of a sudden, from the woods behind the house, we hear this scream. And it is like, the best way that I can describe it is like, I've never in my life in in real life heard a scream like this. This is like what you hear in like movies when something's about to, like they're running there. It's a, like I'm life or death, like screaming for my life.
1: When I tell you, I would have been out of there so quickly. There's literally, I don't even think I would have time to react. My fight or flight, (laughs) flight. Well, so
0: at first, so at first we were like, okay, like everybody kind of waited to see if everyone else heard it. And the first person that we turned to is our boom op who has his, his headset on. And as soon as it happened, we saw him like take the headset off and we were like, wait, okay, you heard that. And obviously because he had the boom mic, it was like extra loud in his ears. And he said, yeah. So we all stand there for a second just to like, what the fuck? It happens again, probably about 10 to 15 seconds later. And so we're all like, now we're wondering, we're like, is that an animal? Like, because you know how sometimes like sheep scream like humans do sometimes, like that we've, we've seen the videos, like we're trying to think, is it that? But I was like, that just sounds too much like a blood curdling like human scream. Um, as we're trying to talk amongst ourselves and figure this out, it happens a third time. And the third time, it reaches like a peak. And so all of a sudden, like you hear like, uh, and it just stops. It just stops. Like, at oh my the god, Shane, you just scared
1: me. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I just jumped well, a bitch, little bit. We were all
0: scared, and all of us, like at that point, are like still. And Jono was the first person. He goes, "Well, whatever it was, it's dead now." Like, so we took a quick break. We came inside we were wondering what it could be. We were like looking up stuff online. We're like, you know, there was throughout the day, we kept seeing all these like cars that would be like kind of driving up to this house, like behind us, like down the road. And it sounded like it could be coming from that direction. But like, you know, whenever you're like out, like woodsy areas, like it, it, depending on where you're located in a house, like it echoes off walls. So like, there's really no telling where exactly it came from. Um, so we were throwing around, like, realistic ideas, like, you know, maybe it's a, you know, we were thinking it could have been, like, a drug house, like, up in the back that, like, stuff was going on at, that just, you know, whatever. Um, and that night, like, I was laying in, in in bed and, I'm like, looking up stuff and, like, North Georgia is known, um, the state of Georgia as a whole, but like, uh, as Civil War battlegrounds. Um, and specifically, like, Native American burial sites. And there's a lot of reports out of North Georgia about... People hearing screams at night. Um, some people claim that they've heard like a baby crying from the woods and they can't ever locate the actual source of the sound. Um, so people are like, oh, like ghosts, burial grounds, things like that. And then Jono like sends me an article one day and it is an article talking about wendigos in North Georgia. And for those of you who do not know, wendigos are, uh, according to like Native American legend, primarily in like Minnesota and like up in Canada, but there have been, you know, supposedly there have been sightings in Georgia. And I'm going to pull up this little quote just so you guys can get a visual image. Um, The Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation. Its desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bones. With its bones pushing out over its skin, its complexion, the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into the sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody, unclean and suffering from superations of the flesh. The Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition of death and corruption. So if you look up images of it, Wendigos are supposedly um, very humanoid in form um, or they take on like a sort of like werewolf type appearance. But perhaps the creepiest thing about them is that they are known to mimic human voices and cries for help because that's how they trap and trick prey into coming into their territory. And then they kill you and and feast on, on your flesh. But their curse is that they can never be full. Um, and so we're like looking at these stories and I was like, if that, like, listen, I, I fully believe in supernatural shit. I have a whole conspiracy about like, national parks in this country and actually like as as shitty as the season was um american horror stories the new like spinoff show that ryan murphy did uh where it's like individual episodes and individual stories one of the episodes is about national parks and it's the first time i've seen somebody like actually like go with this idea and this conspiracy that i have that National parks like they always talk about how like oh it's it, you know it's, it's for preservation of the land and it's to keep wildlife in you know undisturbed by humanity. And I've always had this thought that I'm like mm, if I ever had access to go into like pentagon files and like deep into like classified material I'm not looking up nuclear stuff, I'm not looking up aliens. What I'm looking up is national park records. I want to know like what's going on in national parks because I think and I have a sneaking suspicion that those restrictions in national parks are actually to keep humans safe and to keep them out of territory that mysterious things have happened in and sightings have happened in. Because, like, all these Native American cultures have similar stories, and I mean, B- Bigfoot is supposedly related as a it's a it's a relative of Wendigos. And bitch, if that's what we heard out there that night. I was so ready to get out of LJ. I I hated that. I hated that. Sweetie, it up you there.
1: almost died. You were almost devoured by a Wendigo. I have to say I agree with you. I think there's more to the national park theory. But also, you don't want to look up aliens. I don't want to look up aliens far away. I wanna know the ones that live here with us. Because oh, I know. No, no, that they, I, do. I want here, I know that they are
0: But I think I could get two birds with one stone by looking at National Park Service. I think national parks are also hiding alien sites and things like that.
1: I think so, too, because I think aliens have been living here among us for a while. Mm-hmm. that's absolutely terrifying i'm glad that you're here to tell the tale but when i tell you i would have fucking left. i would have been like jono oh baby i'm so sorry we can shoot these scenes in my apartment <laughs> on a green screen and you can put me back in LJ because i'm not fucking doing that
0: listen if you want to go down a rabbit hole look up some stories like wendigo sightings in north georgia people talk about camping and going out and seeing these like emaciated human like shadows like Around their tents, and sh- Ooh, bitch! No. I'll give, since I'm, chills down my spine no. just reading it. Oh,
1: I'd since chills down mine too. Okay, this Sherry. Is why black people don't camp? Right, there. that's exactly mm-hmm. why. Because we're the first people to die <laughs> in the movies. It doesn't. And make I'm going to go ahead
2: and speak for the whole monolith. Yes, let me go this ahead and say sense. this. This.
1: Trope that black people die first in horror movies is so far from true because we wouldn't even be there to begin with. You wouldn't even be able to kill me, dog, because the second there was some type of funky shit, I'm leaving. I'm not staying to find out. For what? Bitch, I'm out of there.
0: You're not going to go investigate the weird sound coming from the shed. No, my ancestors told me to leave.
1: <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> no. I'm in my car, bitch. <laughs> investigate the weird sounds I'll see you later let me know how it was I don't need to know what the fuck it was I don't need then, to know who it was, what
2: it was. No. but
0: you're gonna go to the car and you're gonna be the stereotype that like gets in the car and then the camera angle is focused on the rear view mirror and something's gonna sit up out of the backseat of the car and it's gonna get your ass before you
1: get to leave Mm, it's because yeah. the horror movies are racist so they're gonna kill me first regardless you're whether not, i'm trying to wrong. escape whether i'm <laughs> trying to escape and go to safety or not they're gonna find me and i'm gonna die and i don't appreciate it that's why you don't see me in the fucking middle of nowhere because i know i'm the first to go even though i'm the most skeptical it's not right okay sherry what's your scary story for us
2: my scary story is actually about the first convicted serial killer in australia that's a woman Catherine knight
1: um this story uh, oh my actually gosh, I'm obsessed with the story. I'm so excited that too. you're telling Holy this. Fuck. Holy shit, Sherry. this is such a good one.
2: I actually heard of this story because I spoke about her on the pod, she was my media recommendation from barely Bailey Syrian, uh that makeup person, and she did like a whole thing for 30 minutes talking about Catherine Knight. So I'm going to make it quick. So Catherine Knight, she was born in October of 1955, and she had a very rough childhood. A fucking Scorpio, of course. Number one murderers. It is said to be that she was assaulted from a young age, and, like, everybody around her basically was, like, an alcoholic. So, like, when she told her mom that she was being, like, someone wanted to have sex with her, and she was 11, her mom was like, just get over it. Like, just do it. So, like, everyone was a mess around her. So, up until... Yeah. She was assaulted by a lot of people in her family and they are speculating the psychiatrist that this is what led to her being so neurotic. So she gets out of that home and um, she marries this guy. Um, This guy, um, he was also abusive and an alcoholic. It is said that when they got married, no, Not him. Um, It is said that they had a very rocky relationship. Like he also had some trauma. He witnessed like the killing of like six kids in an accident. He was there for that, which is why he was so alcoholic. They end up getting pregnant and they have a daughter named Melissa. She had pretty terrible um, postpartum depression. And she was actually put in a mental asylum because she tried to kill the baby. She put the baby on a train track, like right before the train was coming and a, passerby saved the baby just in time. And after that, she tried to get an axe to slash people. Okay. So yeah, that all happened. This all happened before the murder. Now that relationship was rocky. Her um, first husband ends up leaving her and she's at this point neurotic. So she has to get a job. So she gets a job as a butcher and she loves it like it's her favorite job. She used to sleep all the way up until she got arrested with all of her butcher knives in above her bed because she was a really good butcher, really good. But of course, so um, when she got married to her first husband or her second, I'm not sure. Her mom said to the husband, you better not cross this bitch because she will kill you. If you say something to her the wrong way, she will kill you. Watch out. But this guy's drunk. He's not really paying attention. So now we get into her second marriage. Now we get into John Price. John Price meets this woman. I'm sure she was a ball of fun. So all of you people that like toxic women, be fucking careful. Be fucking careful. Choose someone adorable, okay? So John Price, he's infatuated with her. They get married. I think it was on this during this marriage um, that... On the wedding night, she got upset because they only had sex three times, so she tried to strangle him. Okay, so the marriage is already abusive. He has kids of his own. Comes down, she's getting more neurotic and more neurotic and more neurotic. Throughout this time, she's been hospitalized, um, but she ends up signing herself out of the mental institutions. She's upset with him one day, very upset. So she has his children make like this video a videotape of the kids and then sends them out for a sleepover it is said that this was to be like a last testament or a crude will for john price john price is telling people if you do not see me at work tomorrow it's because this bitch murdered me i would like to stay at my neighbor's house he stays at the neighbor's house he goes back home around 11 p.m goes to sleep well our girl Catherine knight is up watching tv she goes to sleep wakes him up to have sex They go to sleep again. It is said around 11 p.m. She stabs him. He tries to run away. He tries to get outside. He is either dragged back inside or falls or something. And she proceeds. The autopsy says he he was stabbed a total of 37 times. But it doesn't stop there. I'm going to fast forward because I want to tell you how the police found the scene. The neighbors found it odd that his car was in the driveway at 6 a.m. He usually goes to work very early in the morning and they see blood coming off of the front door. So they call the police at 8 a.m. The police arrive. The scene that they find is gruesome. It is, it is absolutely horrific after stabbing her husband 37 times after he bled out, Catherine Knight has skinned her husband and put his skin on a meat hook. Like, it's just too much. A meat, a fucking meat hook. And, you know, she's a really good butcher, like really good. This bitch chopped this man, And I'm not just saying chopped. She was intending to serve his fucking body in a stew and serve it to his fucking children. When the police found his head, it was actually in a pot full of vegetables and it was warm. So when she had cooked the head, it was early in the morning. Remember, they came at 8 a.m. So the stew was still warm. His head was found floating with a bunch of vegetables.
1: This is absolutely horrifying. This is
2: hor- This is what nightmares are made of.
0: This is Titus Andronicus. Is,
2: it is said, yes, it's Titus Andronicus. Um, it is said that there was a bunch of stew thrown out in the backyard because they think she tried to eat it, but couldn't. So... She is the first person in Australia that is a woman to be convicted of life without parole, never to be released. She actually is still alive. She's 66 years old. Um, She tried to appeal her sentence because she got sentenced in 2001. Um, And yeah, that's the story of Catherine Knight. The person who cooked her husband. Sherry, that was
1: such... A good one. Wow. It's what so good. a choice. It's I'm so awful. I'm horrified, but I'm impressed, I have to say. Sherry, that was an incredible telling of that story. I am so impressed. I love that we did this. What a fun spooky thing to do. I think
2: it's just This was
1: my idea, you guys. Yeah, it was your idea, idea, and it was such a good one. Well, <laughs> we hate to terrify you, but it is Scream season. So, with that, we leave you in three,
2: two, one. We, we out. out. We out. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> What's scary that? is that I don't have
0: this. <laughs> I literally just, I literally just <laughs> stared at Sherry and she just went,
1: we out. <laughs> like, what was that about, Sherry? That was so fucking weird.